Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Parramatta Podcast. Uh, I'll be temporarily in charge of this week's episode as Hamish deals with some matters at home and then rejoins us uh, in the near future. So in the, for the right now, I'm joined by the glorious Bertie. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. And my good friend, Ham. How you doing, mate? Oh, I was hoping for something glorious. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm you're, friend. You're, you're a good friend, but like, you know, Bertie's the, oh Bertie's the wild card. He, he gets the special status on the podcast. He's, he's the reason why people come. He, he is the, the, the crowd pleaser. He is the money mover. He is the podcast. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> All right, so we've got an uh, action-packed episode of the podcast, even though it's still deep into the preseason because we've just come out of the Perth Nines alongside our first uh, look at the uh, district reps as well as um, some trials in other grades. So we've got plenty to dive into. So let's start with the news bulletin. First up, we've got the uh, the announcement of the 2020 Blue and Gold Army Festival, or rather a reminder, um, that it's going to be held on Saturday the 22nd, which is this weekend, in case you're not keeping track of the uh, date and time. Um, it's out at Bella Vista once more. It was Bella Vista last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so Norwest Boulevard and Elizabeth MacArthur Drive. Um, it starts at 3 o'clock, finishes at 5 o'clock for the priority access for members, and then it'll be open to the public from 5 to 6. Um, full details are on uh, the Parramatta Eels website, paraeels.com.au. If you just dig through the news section, you'll find it going back a little bit. So if you're getting out there, fingers crossed for some good weather and hopefully you have a good day. Um, anyone on the podcast planning to get out this year? No, nah, it's um, my birthday, so Oh, there we go. In the town. Hitting the town, no, paying her blue and gold. <laughs> no worries, boys. I'm, I'm sure Hamish usually gets out there, doesn't he? So um, he'll probably give us a report. He takes the um, family out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then moving on now, we've got the – on the same day in the evening, we'll have the NRL uh, – is it still dubbed the NRL All-Stars or is it the Indigenous All-Stars? Is it officially the Indigenous All-Stars versus Maori All-Stars? No, I th- I'd call it the NRL. I think it is the NRL okay, All-Stars. Okay, cool. just, yeah, just, yeah. sem- just semantically, that's all. So the NRL All-Stars will be um, on the Gold Coast once again. The Eels will have Brad Takarangi and Blake Ferguson playing for the Maori and Indig- the Australian Indigenous teams respectively. Kickoff for that, was, is it about 7.30, I think? That's usually where it's been. Usually is. And, um, so this will be um, the, the first proper look at all the new rule changes in the 13-man code, if I'm not mistaken. So this includes the the uh, stupid 2040, the scrums being set across three different slots on the field, and the aerial attackers being um, afforded the same immunity in the air as defenders. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But hopefully- I as- think- um- the patrons of the Henson Hotel might be a bit scared. Me yelling at the screen about <laughs> why they're moving the scrum, uh, and they, the NRL still hasn't clarified because you have the captains have five seconds to decide where they're going to set the scrum. But the NRL in their press release didn't didn't actually detail whether it was five seconds from the actual infringement, five seconds from the initial scrum being set. Like there, you just got five seconds. So we and what about like if they don't specify, do they get penalised? Yeah, like well, is, is, it, is it like a shot clock? Yeah, is so, that why we did it so we can get another frigging clock going? We're gonna all be in this together as we go on this wonderful journey of rule discovery and, and exploitation for all the um attacking kicks and whatnot. It's going to be very uh, in quote unquote fun, but um yeah, the big thing for Parramatta will be seeing Tacker and especially Fergo get out unchanged, uh, unchanged, unhurt. From Saturday night, um, Friday night, sorry, no, Saturday, Saturday, night. Saturday, Saturday, there you go, Saturday night. I just said that Saturday was the twenty second, and um, and speaking of Hamish, are you ready to take over? Yeah, ready to take over. Cheers. Sorry, just had the little mid down. Uh, so we've got then Sibo update. There was meant to be some results on the seventeenth, the night that we're recording it. Uh, sorry, the day after recording on the eighteenth, 
However, um, news report came out this morning that Sivo to remain in limbo after Fiji court delay. So Sivo may need to wait until round one in March to find out whether he will be allowed to play this year as the NRL continues to wait for more information on his case before he is potentially stood down. Uh, we all know the allegation, which is indecent assault. Um, he's pleaded not guilty to the charge. His case has been stood over to March the 12th, the same day as the Eels season opener against the Bulldogs. The NRL will decide to wait to make a call on whether Sivosh would fall under the no-fault stand-down and rule until more evidence was presented in court. So um, he got the green light to play in the nines, um, but it remains to be seen what happens on the 12th of March, what comes uh, before the court at that point, and if that's handed over to the NRL, whether or not he'll be stood down. Um, I don't think there'd be enough time to have him stood down for round one. Um, they'd have to have something pretty big to have him stood out on that day. So it's a bit Todd Greenberg using his discretionary powers as well because Sivo, under any charge he should get, or, or could get rather, wouldn't meet the, um, is it 11 years uh, jail sentence? Yeah, that- it's 11 year mandatory. mandatory. Uh, I think it might be 13 actually. Yeah. Um, but his, the, the, high, the high ceiling is five years. Um, for that charge in Fiji, but because it falls under an offence against a woman oh, that's or children, right. Todd Greenberg does have the d- yeah. discretionary power to put a no-fault uh, stand down on him. Yeah, given the the way that it's proceeded for Josh Reynolds, um, and given what's come out to to date, um, noting that that's just in the media, whether or not what's alleged is is what has been said in the media. Um, but if it's anything in that vein, you'd have to. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it would be stood down for something like that. It'd be a, a surprising. Uh, turn of events, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's my view. But again, that's relying on correct media reporting. And um, given there's been some difficulties already with what's been relayed by his solicitor to the club, um, I, I'm taking all that with a grain of salt. All right, well, let's get on to the junior reps review. So three games over the weekend, two good results, one not so great result. And then the Daly and the Johns uh, Cup matches were both postponed due to poor weather. I don't know if we're going to be able to play those games again just because of the limited ability to replay them, given I think, Ham, you mentioned the difficulty of those country players to travel midweek yeah. to play a game. Well, because the game was up in Cudgeon, so you'd have to imagine they'd play it up there again or pretty close. You know, they're 16, 18-year-old kids going to school or an apprenticeship when they haven't got the chance during the week to go because that takes out one day and then another, the second day. You know, they've got games on the following week, so... There's no way that they're playing again. And then into the uh, junior reps, the well, I guess the closer to home, uh, the Tasha Gales, they went down 30 to nil um, against the Sydney Roosters Indigenous Academy. Um, my only guess is that there must have been some sort of player turnover because um, if we recall their first year in the comp, they, they got a couple of shellackings, but then last year they did rather well and, and finished in the, I think, the grand final qualifier. Um, but that this year they've right gone down to... Yeah, big scores in their first two games. So and then, hopefully things uh, can pick Hank up. can probably extrapolate better, but unfortunately this game ended prematurely because there was a very serious injury. Uh, I was just going to say, with the poor results, it also could be they've expanded um, the game from a nines aside to a full 13 and uh, increased – I'm not sure what they used to play, but they play full 30 minutes now as well. So uh, some rule changes there mightn't have – uh, suit the uh, girls that we've picked there. So that could be a reason. I'm not 100% sure. Um, yeah, oh, just with about five minutes to go, there was a, a kickoff and um, unfortunately in a tackle, one of the Roosters players suffered a, 
pretty horrific leg injury. Her, well, I think it was um, a leg injury. Her ankle was facing the, was going 180 degrees the wrong way. Uh, the green whistle came out, and um, time uh, play was cancelled because the Roosters up 30 nil five minutes to go. So um, I'm not sure who it was from the Roosters. Um, hope she gets better and. Um, yeah, really, really unfortunate to way to end the game. Well, let's get on to some brighter news. Then the Harold Matthews, the Eels coming away with a victory over the Sharks, 14-12. to 12, Tries to Miles Martin, and I like this name, Genesis Talagi Zuala. Zuala, yeah, that was a, a real, uh, not a tongue twister, but a, a finger wrapper for my um, my fingers on the weekend when I was doing the live updates. He, um, <laughs> he, had a, he had a big game, so he was getting his name in the updates. Yeah, GTS, G- GTS sorry, go GTS. to sleep, baby. Go to sleep. Go to air. And then um, three, uh, two conversions and a, I assume a penalty goal from Aho. Yeah, there was a penalty yeah. goal from in front at one point, yes. Is there anybody you wanted to wrap from that game, you guys? Yeah, there was a couple of players that stood out there. Um, Ham, do you want to take your initial impressions there? Um, the halves really impressed me. I, I know when you watch the highlights, the tries come from a good ruck play by the dummy half and um, some big boys crashing over, but... Uh, what you what you don't see and what unfortunately doesn't show in the um, highlights package here is the way our halves combined for their second full game together. You know, excluding training and trials, uh, they linked really well. Ball was going from sideline to sideline with them being first and second receiver. Um, they look like they've been playing together for five years. So. And uh, Ham, Ham found a great picture actually um, in the aftermath of the weekend of Dylan Brown presenting the jersey to Charlie Geimer. So um, Dylan, yes. being, Dylan, and also Dave Hollis were on hand to watch their younger cohorts at the club uh, turn out and say, "Then it was great to see him there." So that was a nice little moment. But yeah, like those two combining, I know the the big highlight um, and raps have been on Suli Atiaho. When, when you see him up close for a sixteen year old, physically he he commands your attention, but these two on the field, they were, they were smooth. Um, I can't wait to see what they're producing at the end of the year. I think uh, if these two can uh, stay on the field and I think we only completed, oh, about 50%. Which was way, so be- way can- better than the SG balls. <laughs> yeah, those uh, you know, if, they, if we can complete up around even 70%, these two are going to get their hands on the ball in yeah. the attacking zone uh, Guy, Guy and they're going to dominate. Look, did look like a, a good unit together. I want to give a shout out to um the big centre, Declan Murray, who looked really smooth running the yes. ball. He um, had a really nice, playing from the right edge, if I'm not mistaken, um, he, he runs back against the traffic really nicely and it was very difficult to tackle. And the other one um, that stood out for me, not so much for attack, but for defense, was um, Joshua Liliolato, sorry, for making Liliolato. Uh, he um, had a couple of great jams, one that uh, knocked the ball loose and one that forced the forward pass at a big, at a big juncture in the game. So um, those two guys were very good in the back line. And I think the Eels were just quite like relatively tidy through 1 to one to 17 or 1 to 18. I'm not sure if they had the, um, the reserve get involved in this game. So they... Um, they had a, a good game against what looked to be a pretty competitive Cronulla Sharks outfit. So I'm not sure how the Sharks were rained out in round one, so we don't really know how they stand um, up against opposition. But they're traditionally very strong in this grade and in and both the grades in the district reps, and they, uh, they did a good job against them. Their fullback, um, Satani Takama, had a couple of big runs. Yeah, he was he was very good. And he was a goal kicker too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, you know, depending on his eligibility, you know, he might be the fullback with uh, Charlie, Charlie Geimer and – Ethan Sanders for yeah, New late, South Wales later in the, the year. 16s. That's right. 
uh, Kobe Douglas for the Sharks had a couple good moments, but he also butchered one try where he didn't pass, and um, he got absolutely jacked up by Patrick Spence. It was a big hit. Oof. Um, I don't know if you remember him, but it was on the um, the the, on the, club, the clubhouse uh, goal line. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely... I remember that. It was an easy two on one. Yeah, all he had to do was pass, just pass and, and he just got, they win the game. He just got absolutely flattened by uh, Spence, who had a mixed bag of a game, but it was very busy at fullback for the Eels. So. Um, but there's plenty of room for improvement for this team, but they do look pretty solid two games in. And then more positive results in the SG ball. Parramatta Eels coming away 22 to 18 victors over the Cronulla Sharks. Try score is a double or a brace to Caleb Tohi. Uh, Viliami Penasini with a try and Freeman Forsyth. Goals three from four from Josh Chappell. And did I see in the chat, does Viliami, does he really have a brother called Richard? Yes. Okay. <laughs> or it could be a cousin. I'm not too sure. We, we assume that's, it's some that's relation, but yeah, yeah. So yeah. Bertie's got a new favourite. The old, the uh, old English, the old English there, of course, being Dick Pinasini. So, but um, I, I'll tell you what, it was great to get on the board in the, in the ball after getting beaten by Canberra. But this game was a bludger. Oh, oh, it was rough. I mean, you know, there was there was a fair bit of drop ball in both games, but at least the Harold Matthews game was fast. I was this game was slow. I was speaking <laughs> to someone. I was speaking to someone else about another reps game on the weekend, and apparently that um, it wasn't overly hot in that game, but the the ball is very greasy for some reason. So maybe that was in play here in this game too. I'm not sure, but um, the Eels couldn't complete a set. Um, Cronulla weren't much better, but were the beneficiaries of a lot of penalties. I don't know if there's actual team stats updated here. It was a 14 to nine penalty count at the end, so um, pretty pretty crazy penalty count on that sort of day. But uh, the Eels just. To their credit, and they, they do, do deserve credit here, they defended their backsides off. They hung in there for the last to the last minute of the game and literally with the, the clock on double digit zeros, they um they created the, the play to get them over the line and, and win the game. So that and nearly stuffed it up, I thought. It was a the, it was a three the, bullet, on one the, on the outside. The bullet the bullet pass to a prop on the last play of the game, I don't know about that, who um was a big Larry uh, Mulgar Mugatudia. Mugatudia, who got the, um, I think it was, yeah, 15. So it would have been him, and he got the miracle offload away um, out the back to uh, Josh Chappell. Or Kalachi. Oh, Kalachi, no, who, Kalachi. Who, who weaved in traffic and then got it around the back pass to um, Freeman Forsyth at acting fullback after we lost both um, Tyrone Sow and uh, Matthew Komalafi earlier in the game. And, yeah, there was a big overlap out wide, but Forsyth somehow got the ball down. So that was – yeah, it was an insane finish. The, like, it was a, a very good crowd for the district reps there because the Cronulla parents almost always travel well um, in my experience. And that, they were actually good sports in the stands. And um, But the, the crowd exploded after that uh, last play. It was fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you got to credit the, the parents are getting out there. But I'll tell you what, I reckon it must have been some coaching – from the Sharks team because the amount of, yeah. you know, if you go back and the, see how many times a drop ball or a drop out would happen and a Sharks player would go down with a cramp, you know, and this was happening 20 minutes out. I understand it's their first game of the year, so, you know, you might think five minutes out or whatever, but 20 minutes out, they it seemed every second player was getting a cramp or had to have an injury, and oh, that made it, the game really slow, and the ref allowed it to happen. Speaking of coaching, there, um. Their coach deserves a shout out. He is the most vocal coach I've ever heard oh. in that grade. He wasn't swearing or anything, just he didn't need a runner to get to the field because he was barking orders from the side like from fifteen minutes back from the sideline in the stands, they could hear him out in the field. So he was um yeah. very busy um vocally. Um as far as the team I thought that- it was actually a bit poor sportsmanship on his behalf. Um being a coach, you've got to be more reserved. Um like I have sat around, you know, just generally coaches, paramedic coaches, 
opposition coaches and when they think something's a penalty or something goes against their team, they mutter under their breath, you know, oh, that should have been a penalty or he knocked that on or something. This coach was blatantly calling out to the referee that players are offside, um, laying on in the ruck. Uh, I don't think, per- personally, I don't like that. I don't think it's on from a coach perspective, especially when, you know, it's only juniors. And I know they want to win and everything. I think it's a little bit different for fans and parents, but when a coach is yelling it out, I could see that start to persuade parents to start yelling out more at a referee. And, you know, as as much as I give shit to referees, I don't they, they obviously don't deserve, especially ones coming through it's, the grades like it's the a, It's a very fine line, isn't it? And I can see why you're sort of arguing against what like what he does because, yes, it's it is easy to have like some start emulating that, but then take it the step further where it starts becoming abusive, and then then all of a sudden it's very toxic. Um, yeah, I just I didn't from from a coach I didn't think it was a good. Now, as far as the Eels, uh, Ham, uh, who are your standouts? Because it was a tough game, and as we said, uh, defensively they stood up and and did a very good job because the Sharks made a few breaks, but they had to really earn their meters and their points. Um, offensively, there wasn't much doing though. So who's nah, who, think- who's on the radar? There's a couple of players I know that really stood out for me, but. Who who got who caught your eye on Saturday? Um, I'm probably going to say four players. To the two that were starting were Penasini and Josh Chapel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm used to fire, but oh, that gets me every time, man. That, uh, and, and it's funny because his name's Willie Army, she William or Will Penasini, so Willie Penasini. <laughs> uh, so no, I thought uh, when he got his hands on the ball, he looked dangerous. He just needs to get his hands on the ball a little bit more. It, it's the the, um, the eternal sort of paradox of a centre, isn't it? It's you know you're yes. told to go looking for the ball, but you need to be in the right place at the right times. Conversely, as well. So I thought he did a good job getting involved, and defensively, he was outstanding too. Yeah, and I, I think that'll come with age, you know. So obviously, uh, the the coach the he the coaching staff one him getting his hands on the ball there to progress because when he doesn't have his hands on the ball, he's not progressing. So that's probably the biggest criticism of um, Will at the moment. Just, you know, go looking forward a little bit. Because he's, he's you probably might, the You might have to forego, you know, running a set play for two plays. Because I think the argument would be there, he is the best player in the team as, as it stands of four of their senior talents. Well, not even oh. senior, but four of their best talents uh, looking at um, starting the season in flag. Um, he is, you know, their best strike weapon. So getting him involved is imperative to this team's success long term. Yeah, uh, another one, Josh Chapel, newcomer, you know, a bit of a mixed bag, but for the most part, for his second game down in Sydney, it's it's a completely different game to where he's, he's from, Derby in Queensland. So it's just it's a completely different style. Um, but I thought he did pretty well through a couple of nice short balls. Saw players run through gaps and all that. So with time, he'll be better. And then I think that the best two of the game. Um, on both teams were Caleb Tohi and Taylor Mawala. Both came off the bench mm-hmm. and just completely changed the momentum. Yeah. The Sharks were dominating our middle. Those two come on and just Mawala was very very busy through the middle um, in yeah. the interchange prop role, but Tohi was just a, a tour de force after halftime. He came out oh, and, and it's just his step, his late step. Yeah, exactly. He steps off both feet and the gap just opens up for him and explosive the, um, power. Eighteen six at halftime, wasn't it, Ham? Yes. And um, the Eels looked gone for all money uh, after buying some late chances in the first half. And he just came out and completely revitalized the game in that sort of sparkling 10-minute period where he just could do no wrong. He's such an interesting player too, Caleb Toe, because it's difficult to project like where he's going to end up. But um, he's been very good for the Eels throughout the um, the, the reps through Mats and now Ball. Um, and he sort of flew. He's, he's 
rotated between or rotated bounce between starting back row and bench back row and I was having a discussion on Cumberland Fro with a, a supporter about where his best position is and, and where he'll sort of end up this year and we'll, we'll talk about the merits of starting and, and bench and I think that right now he's, he's such a weapon off the bench. Like Oh, and, and you know, we've said it before in first grade, it's been, you know, I think the perfect, maybe not the perfect, you know, comes off the bench, runs hard, has that late footwork, is quick, you know, just has size, and just can really change a game. And, you know, especially with you have um, 10 interchanges now, it's not substitutions. So you need guys that will come on and, like, change the game, and he, he does it so well. Yep, absolutely. Um, All right, well, I think we'll wrap up the SG Ball mm-hmm. chat there, and we'll get into the previews coming up. <laughs> you can see how staff of footy we were. We, we could go in for like another 15 minutes if um you want to, boys. So just warning you. Ask us questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll jump into the NRL 9s review. Uh, so uh, a couple of people saying it's a Mickey Mouse comp. And I just want to play this little drop here. I just want to thank each and every one of you for all you've done to your bodies. It's still real to me, damn it. Our season was over on Friday night, going oh, down 10-13 to the Dogs. Uh, but somehow we, we turned it around in one game, uh, coming victors over the Dragons 15-7, uh, then on to the finals, uh, which we beat the Knights 14-7, and then went down on the buzzer pretty much to the Dragons 6-8 uh, to go out in the grand final qualifier. Uh Two things that we locked in, try of the He's tournament. Outside and Ferguson screaming for it as well. Gutherson showing it. Finds Moses, who keeps it going. Now a chance. Takarangi back on the inside for Moses. Ramsey should oh. have him covered. What a ball from Moses to Takarangi. Fends away from Hunt. Puts a kick in across the field. Still a chance here for the Eels. Smith back on the inside. Salmon will dive in and score. One of the tries of the tournament. And then lastly, Gutho in the team of the tournament. Um, I don't know if I would have put Gutho in the no, team of the tournament. I, I think but, that's, that's um, a pretty uh, contentious yeah. decision. Um, I think there was at least two or three other eels that would have been more worthy of the spot in Mitchell Moses, Ferguson, and, and even David Gower. So let's just get on to while we've mentioned Ferguson. Uh, that first try of his, the, the camera angle doesn't do it justice because it looks like he's just showboating. Yeah, but, it really yeah. did. It really did. That was my initial impression. And then... You get that, as you're going to say, the second camera angle and you appreciate just what an athletic feat it was. And um, I'll let you guys throw over to it. Uh, that first game, it looked like we are playing a bit of 13 aside and like playing our defence. Or could that just be put down to we always play the dogs very close? It just seems to be an inbuilt thing. Uh, I don't know. We played like idiots. Like, that's the only way to describe it because, as you said, we're playing 13 style. You know, in the nines, there's no ruck. You don't win the ruck, and I thought that was a really weird comment by um, Mitchell Moses at halftime that, you know, despite it being nine, you still need to win the ruck. There's no wrestle. There's no ruck. You just – the way to win is spread the ball. And I know that in the later games we did because you saw passes and offloads, but in that first game, it was basically nothing. So we played like idiots in that first game. I think you have to say call it as it is. Um, I'm not sure if that was intentional or a lack of training or whatever, but that was real dumb. It was, yeah, like ultra conservative, uh, almost like they were projecting to a 13 man, you know, uh, code. And they just, yeah, played very, very boring football. And it really bit them on the backside when 
Harrier and Ayera crashed over at the end. So, um, really, given how free-flowing they've been in almost every other Nines game historically, it was such a shock. But um, they certainly rectified that in day two. Yes, and into day two, that first win over the Dragons, uh, spreading the ball a bit more and, again, getting that uh, try of the tournament in that game. Um, but, yeah, well, who, who are your standout players, guys? Um, for me, I, I really like Salmon's work throughout, th- throughout the tournament. Uh, Mitch Moses, of course, put his hand up. Um, Stefano probably didn't live up to um, some, some preseason expectations, uh, especially in attack. Um, I thought Murata Nekore, he was really good around the middle of the field. I agree. I think you, you did a pretty good job of um, picking out some of the most important uh, players of the tournament. Uh, Murata looks – it's funny because – Junior looks trimmer than ever, but Murata looks like he's you know spent the preseason in the gym, and they both look really good because of it. Um, I thought he ran with great intent, um, looked real sharp, and I, I hope he can translate that to the 13 side version of the game. Um, and Salmon's such a funny one because he's almost been a victim of his own versatility. He does such a good job across multiple spots, but he hasn't been able to nail down one position. So uh, it was good to see him do well in the ninths. Um, but yeah, it's also frustrating for him, I suppose, because he hasn't been able to to convert that into a, a position in the the starting team. Um, I'm not sure if he was as a good is a good player overall, but one thing I did like Blake Ferguson's running. It it reminded me back of 2019, those first five rounds, and he was just running with absolute intent. Like it was like he wanted to score or bust bust through five tackles every time he ran the ball. It was, it was good to see, and you know he's shaken off those injuries. Uh, well, hopefully, and he looked real prime, ready to go for round one. I thought, um, without scoring a try, I thought Morata and not being biased, I thought Morata was <laughs> was our best forward. No, like legit, like, um, he wasn't like you know in junior football, like you have the handbrake, you know, you pull up as you get brace of contact. But he was trying to run over people, and I thought that was perfect. Uh, and I thought, uh. I thought Gower was all right. Like, I don't want to have to rely on Gower to like be a playmaker, when, you know, because of his age and when the old man's still going that well, you can't blame him though. He, he looked fine yeah, oh, out there. It's like it, was, it reminded me of um, that the first Broncos game last year at home, not the one that we won fifty eight nil. Just to let you know the first time <laughs> where he um, it, it, it just he's too good to not to be playing for any, but you don't want to have to rely on him. Or Taka, or I mean, the fortunate thing is yeah. that in in you know the reality of the grind of the NRL, there's going to be injuries and attrition throughout the season, and David Gow is going to be a fantastic uh, depth component for us. So, um, the other player I want to give a shout out to was um, Raymond Stone, who yes. who was um, oh, very yeah. strong in defense, and and as um, the West, the Wests, the Dragons fullback uh, Dufty found out, he's made of <laughs> made of absolute made steel. Stone. That's right, he is made of um, granite. <laughs> Um, he he did some um, tidy work out of dummy half for us and and just looked good across the park and I think he's one of the players in a in a tournament where we took a lot of starters across and they you know couldn't really improve their stocks much more because they're already starters or in Murata's case he's a core part of the bench rotation I think that he is a player that might have moved ahead a little bit here he's competing with um Salmon and and especially Takarang for that bench utility role. And while Takig has greater versatility across the back line, uh, his ability to cover dummy half and the back row could be crucial for the Eels. Uh, and his defense. Every time, like we've seen it in, in for reserve grade, but every time there's a big hit, you don't even know how, you don't have to ask who, who is that. Exactly. Yeah, it's you know, it's Ray Stone. Yeah. Like he, he was smashing. One thing I'm actually always worried about is I know it was just the nines, but like the clocking off 
from one of the dropouts and even offloads, like late offloads. Now, we're not going to encounter many of those dropouts in the first grade, but it's more like the late offloads when we're not wrapping the ball up. You know, the, the match-winning try against us from the Dogs, you know, we could we should have held that guy, but, you know, he pops an offload for and they score a try. So that's the only negative I can think coming out of our, you know, our game plan or, you know, our tactics. But other than that, it was uh, brilliant. Like, even uh, Maddo, he's running. He's pretty good. Like, can't wait till him when he's playing 13 aside because he'll be more of a damaging runner. And it wouldn't be, it's not going to be like um, Razzle Dazzle football where we got to score. Like, just get get the meters, get the quick play to ball. So, yeah, it was just good to see um, the team finally. <laughs> and on a very positive note, no injuries to come out of that tournament. I know there were a couple of niggles, but um, nothing like, you know, the Dragons losing McInnes for most of the, you know, what was it, for 12 weeks or something? We had, yeah, that, that's going to be brutal for him on top of that's the um, rough. I, Corbin Sims was cleared of a fractured arm for him, but that's, you know, pretty small solace when they're, uh, you know, core, one of their core playmakers has gone down for a long time. We had two. Yeah, the best player last year, too. Exactly. We had two big scares. Uh, well, one player got scared twice in that, um, <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, just Ron linked the video <laughs> of the Eels change room. Um, we had two big scares with um, Makasivo have that head, oh, the, the head shot by Ben Hunt, the like, shoulder to the chin, and then he got um, you know smacked in the in the nads. And then late in the tournament, Guffo, when he tried to clear up that mess he made at the back, uh, diving for the ball, and he's got in goals, he nearly popped his shoulder out, it looked like. so. I was going to say, it, I thought he dislocated his shoulder there. It looked for all money, like he, he dislocated his shoulder, and then you know, he gets up like grimacing and, and working that shoulder, and then it turns out he was okay. So thank goodness for that, because um, BA gave him the, the relatively clean slate of health coming out of the tournament, which was fantastic. I don't know if it's reported, but after the first game, Moses, one of the first tackles he got tackled, he got up a bit ginger, and that's I don't know if that's why he didn't run as much, but I was worried about that, and also... Um, I, I think yeah. that, I think, I don't know if it was intentional, but Moses deferred a lot to Gufferson as the primary ball handler throughout the weekend, so I don't know if that was just the Eels experimenting or not, but um, Moses still got involved, you know, on the short side stuff, but I do want to credit his defense. He was out, He was like our leading defender out there. He was an absolute missile. Um, he's put on a few kilos of muscle and it showed. He was absolutely gunning in defense and really led the way. For people calling it a Mickey Mouse competition, look how much it means to the players. Look at Mitchell Moses after we that uh, semi-final against St. George. He looked like he was about to burst into tears. He, I, 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 yeah, I wasn't sure if he was hurt or if he was um, upset, and it turns out he was upset. Like he was like, yeah, like that, that, that bodes well because you want that competitive fire in Moses lit, and he looks like he's really, you know, he wants to win it all this year, and that's great. Yeah, and that's... You know, I said on Twitter, I said on the podcast, everything we do, we do to win. Uh, we have it doesn't matter what it is. You've got to go into every yep. contest with that mindset. Okay, and if you want to get some of the highlights from that, uh, in the show notes, linked all the Eels tries from the NRL nines, um, and a little bit of the camera work from there too. Um, so just jump into the show notes, and you'll be able to get the links to those. Uh, now let's get into some previews, which we'll see in the junior reps. Uh, got a slate, two games at Henson Park, one at Nostrata Jubilee, and then the uh, Country Rugby League will be at McCready Park. Now from the weekend, uh, there is a link on New South Wales Rugby League Facebook. Uh, they're live streaming those uh, country rugby league games. Um, so I'll send out the link on Saturday. Uh, but if you just look in New South Wales Rugby League, just follow them on Facebook. You'll be able to get the live stream of all the uh, Laurie Daly and Andrew Johns games over the weekend. 
but let's get into the preview of those games. Tasha Gales are taking on St. George Dragons at Nostrata Jubilee Stadium, which I understand is Cogra. Uh, that's 10 a.m. on Saturday, the 22nd of February. Uh, let's hope they can bounce back from those first two results. Uh, then to the Harold Matthews, Sydney Roosters taking on the Eels, 10 a.m. Saturday, 22nd of February at Henson Park. Um, that's Is that the, the Jets? That's right. That's the Jets, yeah. yeah. Um, so how do, do we know how the Sydney Roosters are going in these competitions at the moment? They just beat Western Suburb Magpies, who are usually a, a bottom half team. Uh, last week they washed out round one. Could be anything in that game, and yeah, so I'm unsure about them. And, and then they flogged they flogged the Western Suburbs Magpies in the SG Ball. So could be brutal. Could be anything. Okay, and then on to the SG Ball, which will be Sydney Roosters taking on the Eels 11:30 a.m. on Saturday, the 22nd of February at Henson Park. And as you just heard from Ham, the SG Ball team went rather well last um, week. Uh, then into the Andrew Johns and Laurie Daly Cups. Uh, unfortunately, they're taking place at the same time um, as Harold Matts and SG Ball. Uh, but again, at McCready Park, 10 a.m. for Andrew Johns on Saturday, 22nd of February, and 11.30 a.m. for the... Um, sorry, that's just the the baby monitor. Um, <laughs> 11.30 a.m. for the Laurie Daly Cup. I thought it was a smoke alarm. I was going to be like, you are right? <laughs> nah, it's just the, the, the connection dropped out. <laughs> um, all right, that wraps that up. Then the flag and the Canterbury Cup trial, uh, which will see a couple of Eels playing in the Canterbury Cup trial, uh, taking on the Rabbits this Friday, the 21st of February 2020. Uh, Ham, can you give us a rundown for those times? I, I tried to have a look around, but I couldn't find them before we came on. Sorry, well, I'm, I wasn't concentrating. Cut this Sorry, out. What do, was it for? Do you have the times for the flag and the Canterbury Cup trial? Um, yes, I, I, I'm pretty sure that the Jersey flag starts at 5 p.m. with the uh, Canterbury Cup at 7 p.m., but not 100% sure on that one at the moment. And what's the venue for that? Is that our home game or is it at Rabbit? Um, no, nah, it's, it's at Ringrose. At so. Ringrose. Um, so 5 o'clock perhaps. Um, so just uh, keep your eye on the social medias uh, to get an update on exactly what time that is. Um now, just in some trial news, I just saw that poster before. Daily Telegraph can reveal that um, Parramatta will play Regan Campbell-Gillard for around 20 minutes in a trial against South Sydney at Wentworthville on Friday night. Brad Arthur confirmed that Regan Campbell-Gillard would play, um, but he'll rest Ryan Madison. Uh, quote, Reg will play about 20 minutes. I want him to get out there and make a couple of runs and a couple of tackles. If he's feeling all right, he might go another five minutes. It's about blowing that first wind and blowing out the cobwebs. It's a new club for him. The next week, which is against Penrith in Vega, will increase him up to about 45 to 50 minutes, end quote. Uh, so if you want to see Regan Kemal Gillard in his first run out in blue and gold, um, get out there uh, to uh, Wentworthville on Friday night. It might be a sneaky good team too because, you know, the guy, the fellas that didn't play nines I feel like would play. That's why uh, RCG's there plus uh, probably the reserve grade starters. So you're talking George Jennings, uh, Jamin Salmon, Ethan Parry, Hayes Dunster who had a pretty good nines. So if you want to see him in the 13s, I reckon he'll probably get a, a pretty good run at, on, at Ringrose on Friday. 
And that'll just about wrap it up for this week on the Parrot Podcast. Now, uh, we'll just get off to a little bit of off-topic chat, and I'll get to you, Bertie, first. What's been going on? Oh, well, after the first game, I was, you know, John Snow, I was prepared for battle, man. I was ready for every <laughs> single Tigers fan, and I was only natural. I was like giving them shit all preseason, but I don't know if it's reverse psychology just to screw with my mind. But um, a couple of the Tigers fans were like, "Nah, it's not a major comp. It's all right. Wait till we versus your Easter." And I was like, you know, a bit reserved. I, I was I was ready to tweet out like, you know, why the fuck you lying? But <laughs> I was, yeah, I was no being a bit quiet. I was, but I was prepared, man. I was literally prepared for war on Twitter. Mm, never changed, buddy. <laughs> 40 um, Well I was busy all, all through the week With um, a lot of TCT stuff Because we got in through the, Prepping for the district reps In the Auckland Auckland The Perth Nines So um, I you know, was doing a whole bunch Of digital content And got to um, do another pregame show of 60s Which was plenty of fun um, Our predictions were just A little bit off With the Eels falling In the semis unfortunately But you know The Nines were good fun And we got for unscathed As we already touched uh, aside from that, uh, I watched the NBA All-Stars game this week and it was interesting to see him take it seriously for the first time because of the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. So the um, the last quarter was absolutely frantic and um, everyone was taking it as seriously as like the actual title itself. Um, so that was good. Um, and I don't we talked about it previously, Hamish, but um, the fallout from the Astros sort of Spygate saga or code break, whatever it's called, is just getting worse and worse with the commissioner hitting them with the wet noodle and then the players being completely unrepentant and taking the piss out of every everything and then 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 getting upset when the players that were cheated um getting were getting cheated on by um the technology um got upset and then <laughs> claiming that, you know when they were told that they lost um any sort of respect they had for the Astros players the Astros players then got uppity about it so um it, it is an absolutely fascinating saga uh, I, you can't even think of like the NRL equivalent. It was like as if I don't know the Melbourne Storm players were quite arrogant when they you know still claim that they have their titles and whatnot. But imagine if they were in public just you know spitting it out there that they that they don't care that they cheated and they you know it wasn't um it wasn't their fault and whatnot. So I don't know it, it's something crazy. Yeah, well it's got even more crazy. Um, there's a former L- MLB pitcher who's filed a lawsuit. Um, so p- Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Mike Bolsinger or Bolsinger, I'm not quite um, But anyway, it, it's he, after his game, he got like absolutely smashed because of all the signalling. Um, and then he got punted out of the league and went into the minor leagues as a result. Um, couldn't lend a MLB gig after that one game. Um, so he's filed a lawsuit against the Astros um, claiming that they stole his signs. And as a result... Uh, he played so poorly that he got punted into minor leagues and, you know, claims for lost wages and whatever else. That's the thing is that um, so many careers have been negatively impacted that you can't actually appreciate how much damage was done. Uh, so many pitchers that got their signs stolen being, and got shelled by the Astros that, you know, lost their spots and MVPs that were lost and all those other things. It's crazy. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to something else. Ham, you've been um, vibing off the, the new album. The new album? Tame Impala. Lame Impala. No, I actually don't really like Tame Impala. I never have. I was going to say something more important. Uh, if, if you've probably noticed, as you've been listening for 40 or so minutes now, um, my voice is, is sounding very sultry and delicious, and that's because I bought a new microphone. And um, we're going Richard Mercer here, folks. No. Um, yeah, so that's uh, – other than that, I have done nothing. <laughs> Actually, I can give a shout out to um, 
to an, to an upcoming band um, if you want. Yeah, we like your band. Yeah. Ah, it's good. Uh, Limp Biscuit, headed <laughs> by. <laughs> Please, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, um, I'm, too, I'm too mature for this pod. Nah, um, I've got honestly, I've got to start doing stuff and getting out. I've just been doing nothing. If yeah, that's me. I've got. I've been playing NBA on PlayStation because I'm too tired after work to do anything. All right, well, I've got something for you to do. Um, Homework. Now, we like to plug other rugby league content, uh, and especially when it's fantastic like this is. Um, so go give your ears a nice little helpful and listen to the Rugby League Digest. Uh, now, they're also on Spotify. I'm going to link at least this episode in the show notes. Um, I understand they're all on all the other platforms on Twitter. Give them a follow, etc. cetera. Uh, but... At the moment, they're doing an in-depth investigation into the uh, Super League war. Uh, so the hosts are one guy, I know he's a former criminal barrister, current comedian, and then the other guy uh, is a rugby league historian. Um, I've seen him in a couple of different books running around, and I understand that he donated a whole heap of, I think it's the Rugby League Newsweek to the... Uh, the Sydney Library, I think I want to say, in the archives. I've been reading through a couple of copies. It's it's fantastic. It goes back to like the uh, 1930s um, and such. Uh, but this this week's instalment was on the Filthy Four. Um, and for those who are a bit young, in uh, April 95, uh, in the beginning of the Super League War, uh, f- the Bulldogs were signed to the Super League, uh, four players, uh, who would go on to be known as the Filthy Four, uh, including Jared McCracken, uh, backflipped and signed with the ARL, and they ended up going to Parramatta. Um, and this episode really focuses in on Jared McCracken, um, and it's really fantastic. Uh, again, this it says Chapter 16, but um, go back and listen to the beginning. Um, goal on our podcast, uh, shout them out t- for me, and um, I've just binged pretty much all of them. Uh, so fantastic listening, uh, great rugby league history there. And um, if you want to learn a bit about the Super League uh, and the Super League War, um, give it give it a listen because when, when it was going down, I was only about three or four years old. So um, a lot of this passes me by um, and it's just really interesting to go back and, you know, stuff I've heard in passing to have an actual in-depth uh, listen to it all. Yeah, I've been I've been binging it um, when I've been working. I'm out on the road most of the time. So um, hour-long episodes and, again, I was born in 94, so all my – understanding of the Super League War has been from my pop. <laughs> I'd ask him about the Super League War. He just shakes his head and goes, worst, worst thing never happened in Rugby League. But he has conceded that um, the only good thing to come out of Super League and what they should change is that scorers kick off. So, you know, in his later years, he's starting to come around, I think, a little bit. But <laughs> um, <laughs> So, no, it's, it's, you know, for such a, a big thing to happen in the history of our sport, even in the podcast, you know, you listen to them and there's so many different, you know, I was listening to one today and they said, you ask five different people, you're getting five different stories. So to have it all condensed into an hour, hour and a half long episodes and just listening to what happened, who did what, who was on what side, who was playing, who was playing this person, who was playing that person, who was undercutting, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic listen and, you know, two really good guys. So um, I don't think they'd be listening to us because one's a Canberra supporter and one is a Dragon supporter. I can't say they'd be listening to the Para podcast anytime soon, but 
Um, they do a really good job. Yep, really well hit, uh, really well researched and um, a balanced uh, account. They give him both sides of the story. So uh, I'll chuck that in the show notes, a link to it on Spotify. Uh, but check it out for yourself. It's the Rugby League Digest. And as I said, you can get it on Spotify. I assume it's on all the other uh podcast providers all right well i reckon that'll wrap us up for this round uh we'll see you again next week for a wrap-up of the junior reps and then the canterbury cup and jersey flag uh trial and then we'll be on to preview the first grade trial against penrith down in bega um so really wrapping into the football now uh what are we about three four weeks away from from first grade under four weeks away four weeks isn't it? because it's all stars trial by and then round one. So, yeah, yeah three and a half. Because we're the Thursday kickoff, yes. How good. Awesome. All right, we'll catch you on the next Power Podcast. Catch you on the flip side, boys. Fully up. <laughs> <laughs>